the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. WTBN, Pinellas Park. Up next is Verse by Verse, sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries. All right, so we know that Satan's accusations mean nothing to God the Father because he's already justified us, right? It means nothing. But what about Jesus Christ? What about the Lord Jesus? Where does he enter into this picture? Can he condemn us if he wants to? I mean, if Christ wants to, because of our sin, he doesn't need Satan to accuse us. Can he condemn us on his own? Maybe Satan can't get the Father to open this closed case and charge us with sin. But can Christ of his own will condemn us? Let's face it, Jesus is going to condemn a lot of people. In Revelation 21.15 it says, And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. That's a terrifying prospect, isn't it? But is it something we should be concerned about once we put our faith in the Lord Jesus? The Bible says no. We have nothing to fear, as Pastor Steve Kreloff will explain today on Verse by Verse. Pastor Steve is the teaching pastor at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida, and he's taking us verse by verse through a wonderful passage in Romans chapter 8 that talks about God's sovereignty and our security. If you were here for our last session, you might remember Pastor Steve quoting from Romans 3.25, where Paul said that God displayed Christ as a propitiation in his blood through faith. Propitiation is a fancy way of saying satisfactory payment, and the pagans of Paul's day used the word in a sense of appeasing their gods or bribing them when they're angry. But that's not how Paul used the word. Here's Pastor Steve now to continue that thought. But when Paul uses this word, propitiation, he uses it in a different sense because our God is not vindictive. Our God is not malicious. Our God is not like that. He doesn't delight in bringing punishment to the unsaved. And he doesn't need to be appeased, and you cannot bribe him. We don't bribe God. But this word means that God's holiness and justice must be satisfied. If you want another word for propitiation, think of satisfaction. God is a holy God. God is a righteous God. God is a God of justice. His law has been broken, and the holiness of God demands that when his law is broken, there must be punishments and payments, or else his holiness will not be satisfied. That's what propitiation means. God has been offended by our sin. His holiness needs to be satisfied. And when Christ died to redeem us, this is the point, God's holiness, his justice was completely satisfied. Christ died in my place. The judgment of God that I deserve fell on Christ. And the justice and holiness and righteousness of God was totally satisfied. Totally. Now that it was his justice satisfied, he's able to reach out in love and mercy and grace and to provide us with his gift of righteousness. He couldn't do it before. 
He couldn't reach out in love, giving man righteousness, while his holiness wasn't satisfied. God would then be compromising. God's love and holiness always cooperate with each other. And that's why you find this, and I'm not going to deal anymore with verse 25, but you find that, um, or verse 26, that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Christ. He is absolutely just. God has never compromised his holiness, but in love he's also the justifier because his justice has been satisfied. Back to Romans chapter 8. Now do you understand a little more why Satan's accusation is harmless? Satan comes to God and says, look at Kreloff. Look at that guy. What a sinner. He shouldn't be one of your children. He is so sinful. It's, it's just embarrassing. It really is. And I charge him with being guilty. And then he lists all of these sins that he can find. And you know what? In some of those, he might even be right. He's a liar. But he doesn't have to lie with this. He might even be right. He doesn't have to lie about my sin. There's enough truth there. Just speak the truth. And he'd find out that I'm sinful. But it does no good. And it doesn't do any good with you either. It does no good because God has legally pronounced me righteous. God is the one who justified me. He's not going to turn around now and declare me guilty. Can't do that to, to a person. Can't charge him with guilt and also declare him righteous. Well, someone says, well, can our sinful behavior undo our justification? When God justified you, you were in sin. You were in sin. Why do you think now that sin's going to unjustify? I don't even know if that's a word, unjustify, but you know what I mean. Why do you think now God's going to say, oh, now I see. I didn't see before that you were such a sinner. Now I see. Oh, no, never do. I've got to take back. My pronouncement, no, that's, that's absurd. And by the way, I might add that Paul is being absurd here. These are absurd arguments to show the ridiculousness of thinking we could lose our salvation. This is a legal issue. It is a legal charge. It is a legal declaration that you've been justified. And you can't overthrow the law. Have you ever had a run-in with the law? I don't mean something really serious, but have you gone through red tape and bureaucracy of the law? I have. And, and, and I really understand uh, and I'm sure you can too if you've ever tried to get a building inspected or anything like that. You understand the expression a little bit better now that says, go fight City Hall. You cannot fight City Hall. See, you can't, you can't fight against the law. You can't fight against the law. That's the same way with justification. The law stands. God says you are righteous. You are justified as a gift in spite of your sinful behavior. So why do you think you can lose your justification by your sinful behavior? See, it's absurd. My friends, let me say this. You should never listen to Satan. Never. Never listen to, to Satan's accusations against you. Accusations like this. You do something and you know it's wrong and you've confessed it 1,500 times and you still are confessing it and you hear this, this thing in your conscience and in your mind. How can you claim to be a Christian and do such a thing as that. How can, and you know, we listen to that, and we ought not to listen. How many Christians have absolutely no assurance of their salvation because they listen to Satan instead of taking, as Paul says in Ephesians 6, the shield of faith, the shield of faith, and quenching the fiery darts of the evil one. You know why you shouldn't listen to Satan? Because God doesn't listen to him. And if God doesn't listen to him, I don't need to listen to him. God does not listen. 
He once and for all has declared us righteous if we've trusted Christ. And no one can lay a charge to God's elect and have it stick. The case just won't, it won't be opened. It's a closed case. Now, this isn't to say that we ignore our sin or try to cover it up. I agree with Satan. I'm a lousy, sinful person. I I don't deserve to be in heaven. I'm the first one to agree with that. But more than agree with Satan, which I rarely do, but in this case would, I agree with God that I've been pronounced righteous in his sight, and you need to agree with God. All right, so we know that Satan's accusations mean nothing to God the Father because he's already justified us, right? It means nothing. But what about Jesus Christ? What about the Lord Jesus? Where does he enter into this picture? Can he condemn us if he wants to? I mean, if Christ wants to, because of our sin, he doesn't need Satan to accuse us. Can he condemn us on his own? Maybe Satan can't get the Father to open this closed case and charge us with sin. But can Christ of his own will condemn us? Well, let's look at verse 34. Who is the one who condemns? Who is it? Who condemns? Now, the only person in all the universe who can condemn us, Satan can't even condemn us, who's the judge of the universe? The Lord Jesus. In John chapter 5, Jesus said, The Father has given all judgment over to me. In Acts chapter 17, verse 31, Paul told the Athenian philosophers, There is coming a day where God will judge mankind by one man, the man he's appointed, and that's Christ. He is the judge. He is the only one who could condemn, the only one qualified to condemn in all the universe. But will he condemn us? Will he ever do that? Will Christ condemn one of God's elect? Look at verse 34. Who's the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is he who died. Let's stop there. How could the Lord condemn us when he died for our sins? Doesn't even make sense. I'm telling you, it's an absurd argument. And it's absurd on purpose. He was condemned in our place. There is nothing for which to condemn us. If Christ condemned us, it would be saying that his death was ineffective. Could Christ ever say that? No, God has pronounced us justified, righteous. It's an absurd problem. In fact, if Christ ever condemned us, one who has trusted him, one who has been redeemed, one who has been declared righteous, you know that he would be unjust. He would be unjust. That sin has been paid for and the believer has already been declared righteous, case closed, shut, finished. I've told this story a number of times, but it's so important and it really fits in right here and it illustrates this point. Apparently a true story of a dying godly woman who on her deathbed, pastor came to see her and said words to this effect, do you know that if you die that you'll awaken in God's presence? She said, yes, I I certainly do. I have that assurance. He said, but what If you die and you are condemned and you awaken in hell, she said, oh, she said, if that were to be the case, I would only lose my soul, but God would lose far more. He would lose his integrity. Isn't that great? I would only lose my soul. That's it. But God would have far more to lose. He would lose his integrity. Who will condemn us? Certainly not Christ. He would be unjust and he would lose his integrity if he condemned us for whom he, he died and paid for our sins and we trusted that. But how do we know that Christ's death took care of our condemnation? How do we know that? I mean, I could just imagine someone sitting 
in one of the living rooms in the home. I don't know if they had living rooms there back in Rome, but one of the houses in Rome and, and thinking, well, how do I know that all my sins have been paid for? How do I know that his death really took my sins? So Paul says it. How do I know that it's really true? Well, look what Paul goes on to say. Not only is Christ Jesus he who died, yes, he says, rather, who was raised. Now, why is Paul saying that? He's not just, you know, uh, trying to wax eloquent. No, he speaks of the resurrection for a purpose. He mentions the resurrection of Christ because Christ's resurrection proves that God has accepted the death and condemnation of, of Christ in our place, and therefore he has justified us. Do you realize that? That's why we get so excited about the resurrection, not just on Easter. We who know Christ get excited every Sunday. I hope that when you come to church, it's because you're excited about celebrating the resurrection of Christ. That's right. Romans chapter 4, verse 25 says this, He who was delivered up because of our transgressions and was raised, why? Because of our justification. Now, the resurrection is not the cause of our justification. The death of Christ is. And that's what paid the price for our sins. But his resurrection is proof positive from God that the price was paid and that we are indeed justified. In fact, isn't that the argument of 1 Corinthians 15? Paul says, if Christ didn't rise from the dead, then you're in big trouble. You're still in your sins. Why? Because the resurrection proves that the payment was fully paid. But notice Paul doesn't stop with Christ's death and resurrection. Look what he goes on to say in verse 34. Who is at the right hand of God. Now why would he say that? Why would Paul bring this up? Hasn't he already said enough? Apparently not. The question I remind you is will Christ condemn us? Will he ever condemn us? That's the question. And the answer is of course not. Why? Because he died for our condemnation. And he was raised again to prove that he paid the price. But was it a perfect and complete death for us? Was God the Father completely satisfied? I mean completely. Did Christ really accomplish all that God sent him to accomplish? Sure, absolutely. How do we know that? Because God the Father has exalted Christ to his right hand. The most distinguished guest is always at the right hands of the host, especially in biblical times. Will you turn your Bibles to Philippians chapter 2? This is, this is what we're talking about. This is what Paul is saying. Philippians chapter 2, verse 8, speaking of Christ who emptied himself, who became a bondservant and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore... Now, I want you to see that. Therefore, based on the fact that Christ was obedient, based on the, on the fact that Christ went to the cross, therefore, based on this, also God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And we know that Christ is God. But we also know that as the God-man, the Father has exalted him for his obedience in paying for our sins. And that's the point here. Christ's exaltation is the proof that God, the Father, is completely satisfied. Completely satisfied with the death of his Son. His work on the cross is complete. When Jesus said, it's finished, he really meant it. It's finished. It's over with. It cannot fail. That's the thought here. God rewarded him. Sit at my right hand. 
Sit down, son. Your work is through. He's seated because his work is finished. He's at the right hand because God exalted him for the finished work. Nothing can go wrong with your salvation. Nothing. It's a perfect and complete salvation because it is a perfect and complete payment for our sins. Now, what is Paul doing? Paul is arguing. Paul is debating. Paul is trying to show the absurdity of thinking that Christ could ever condemn a redeemed person. But Paul knows, being practical, being sharp, and also being inspired by the Spirit of God, he knows that in spite of what he's just said about Christ's complete and perfect death and the atonement, there will always be someone who will say, but, a little voice from the crowd, but, what if I fall into some horrible sin? What if I do something horrible after I'm saved? Doesn't that mean I'll be condemned? Well, Paul answers this with the last statement found in verse 34. Not only is he the one who died, Christ Jesus is the one who was raised, who's at the right hand of God, who also what? Intercedes for us. He intercedes for us. He's praying. When you fall into sin, the Lord Jesus is praying. That's what he's doing right now. In fact, the greatest commentary on that is found in Hebrews chapter 7. Hebrews chapter 7, telling us that we have a greater... Uh, priesthood than the Jews did. In fact, the whole theme of, of Hebrews is that what you had in Judaism is nothing compared to what you have in Christ. Don't go back to Judaism. Don't go back to the law. Christ is superior. And then he comes to chapter 7, superior priesthood. And he says in verse 24, but he, on the other hand, because he abides forever, holds his priesthood permanently. It's not a priesthood that passes away. He lives forever. Hence, also, since he lives forever, he's able to save forever those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. This word found in verse 25, forever, could mean to the end, continuing all the way, but I think it really means, and it, it could mean this, and I think the context would say this, it means he saves completely, which also encompasses forever, completely. Your salvation is complete because Christ forever lives praying for you. What is Jesus doing now? Lots of things. Building us a home in heaven in the Father's house. He's giving gifts to his church as he saves people. But Christ is also praying for us. He's interceding. Because of Christ's death and resurrection, he continually secures for his people the benefits of salvation. His presence in heaven functions as a high priest. By his presence, I should say, he functions as a high priest, continually obtaining, and, uh, obtaining the blessings of salvation for his people, reminding God the Father that their sins were paid for. So when, when Satan goes in the presence of God and says, look at them. Hypocrites, fools, sinners. The Lord Jesus says, Father, remember, I paid for that sin. It's already charged to my account. Now, how that takes place in heaven, I don't know. I don't know. It certainly can't take place every time a, a Christian sins, because if that were truth, then that's all Christ would be doing. You know, every time he sins, he's got to hold a courtroom scene. No, somehow it works out. 
but Christ is our high priest. He saves to the uttermost. What is Christ doing now? He's praying for you. Requesting the Father to keep us because he died in our, in our place. So no matter what sin you're involved in, we don't want to ever give you the excuse to say, that's okay, that's fine. No, Paul says, how are we who have been saved by grace? How should we continue in sin as a lifestyle? No, you repent. You get it right. You confess it. But what we are saying is that when sin does come in our lives, some horrible sin, don't ever fear that you've lost your salvation. Christ won't condemn you. How would he condemn you if he's praying for you? It's absurd. He won't condemn you. He's on your side, interceding on our behalf. And that's Paul's point. Our salvation is secure because God has justified us and Christ won't ever condemn us. I don't know where you are in your life, but I know this, that's, that hell itself wants to shake your faith. What more can he say than to you he has said? To you who for refuge to Jesus have fled. The word of God is our answer. Don't try to answer Satan with your own thoughts. Answer him with the word of God. Shall we bow for prayer? I don't know if someone here is without Christ. Must be. In every large gathering there's always some who don't know the Savior. We would be remiss if we didn't take this opportunity to say you can come to Christ and you can be justified and you can be declared righteous and you can be freely forgiven without a cause because it's a gift. We want to invite you to come up after the service and speak to one of our counselors, speak to myself about your need for Christ. God has provided righteousness and if he did not provide it, then Satan could accuse us. And if you, don't, if you don't have the righteousness of Christ and Satan accuses you, you're doomed. You have no legal pronouncement that you're declared righteous without faith in Christ. Don't let a day go by. Trust him. Be saved forever. Father, we thank you that though all hell does endeavor to shake us, Satan accuses us, wants the Lord Jesus to condemn us. Thank you that the word of God tells us we're secure because, and even though we didn't stress this in the message, Lord, we know that we are the elect. Who will charge, make a charge not just against your people, but against the elect, those who have been chosen, those who have been predestined, those who have been called, those who have been justified, and those who have been glorified. Father, thank you for this great assurance and this great salvation, because salvation is totally of the Lord. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Paul concluded his letter to the Ephesians by telling them and us to put on the full armor of God so that we can stand firm against the schemes of the devil. Part of that system is the Word of God. And it's in the Word of God that we find strong assurance that our faith is secure, that Jesus will never leave us or cast us out, and that nothing can separate us from the love of God. We'll delve more into that last fact when we meet again for the next Verse by Verse. Thanks for tuning in. Our study leader is Pastor Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. If you want to visit Lakeside, you'll find a warm welcome, and you already know you'll get good Bible teaching there. The address is 1893 Sunset Point Road. Call Lakeside for more information at 727-441-1714 or go online to lakesidechapel.com. That number is also the one to call if you'd like to have a free audio CD with the entire sermon Pastor Steve just finished. Ask for message 5444, The Problems of Security. 
And the phone number again is 727-441-1714. You can also listen online at versebyverseradio.org. Go to the Message Archive page, and today's broadcast should be right there at the top of the page. And you can find earlier ones by date using your web browser search function. There's also a giving page if you'd like to help support this ministry. We depend on the generosity of God's people to pay for the expenses of producing and airing verse by verse. So we thank you for your gifts and for your prayers. That's at versebyverseradio.org. This is Jerry Peterson. Did you know that there are some things that we just can't do? Some people say you can't put toothpaste back into the tube. Well, with the right equipment, you actually can. But there are lots of things we really cannot do. I'm pretty sure there's no way, for example, that I could turn myself into a rhinoceros. And I'm completely sure that I can't turn myself into an unbeliever. In fact, I can't even want to turn myself into an unbeliever. But there are those who say it can be done. So on our next verse-by-verse, Pastor Steve will show us from God's Word that nothing, and I mean nothing, can ever separate us from God's love. You've been listening to Verse by Verse, sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries. This program was pre-recorded. To learn more, including how to donate to this ministry, visit versebyverseradio.org. That's verse by You're here to give you strength between Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.